Our scripture this morning will be taken from the book of Psalm, chapter 127. Psalm 127. If you're reading from the Red Puback Bibles in front of you, that's going to be on page 518. Psalm 127. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. We'll start in verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Sometime back, John told us that some sermons require a disclaimer before they are preached. And this morning, I want to make a disclaimer that as we consider the title on the screen behind me, Leading Our Families in Troublesome Times, I do not purport to be one who is a professional at this in any way, one who has figured it all out. As you're well aware, my oldest child is, has not even started kindergarten yet. But as we, as we look around the world around us and we, we turn on the news and we see so many things that are going on in the world that are, are, are causing us to realize that we are living in troublesome times, and in addition to that, many of the thoughts that I prepared this morning are, are born out of my own personal struggles as a father and thinking about raising my children in a time in which they're already being faced with some of their peers questioning them and asking them about their belief in the the existence of a God. And I don't want to necessarily publicly divulge further information so as not to to burn any bridges with someone that I might have an opportunity to to influence in the future, but, but suffice it to say that I'm already having to have some deeper conversations than I would have ever expected to have with, with some children of, of this age. Gone are the days when we could, could safely assume that our neighbors, our, our, our coworkers, our, our, our governmental figures, other community members are, are by default at least believers in deity or at the least maybe, maybe following Christ. For the better part of, of this nation's existence, antagonism towards God was, was something of the minority but it is increasingly becoming something that is more, more common. As you're, as you're well aware. And so maybe like me, you're, you're, you're also struggling with, with this question. How, how can I, in such a, a tumultuous and troublesome environment in this world, raise three young children to be faithful, to trust in a God that loves us? Though we may wish for one, there, there's not a There's not a secret formula that says if we'll just give them this magic pill that it's going to guarantee that they'll be faithful when they leave home, 
There's, there's no guarantee of that. And even if we do everything perfectly in our life, God has still given each one of us free will to choose to walk away from everything that their parents have taught them and to embrace everything that we have taught against. And so perhaps that's even maybe the scariest thing of all for us, to think that we could do everything maybe just as perfectly as we could think and they can still walk away from the Lord. And so we think about the things that are around us and we, we start to worry. We start to, to, to wonder, am I doing it right? But what if what's happening in our society is not really perhaps the greatest danger or perhaps the root cause of why many children leave the Lord? What if the one thing that causes more young people to turn away from the faith and embrace the ideologies of the day is not what's going on in the world around us, but rather a failure by parents and particularly fathers to actively keep the eyes of their children on God. When it comes to the constant barrage of these new ideas and, and quote, truths from the world, the only secret formula that we really have is to keep our eyes on the God that we serve and to keep our children's eyes on him as well. We must, we have to trust that his power, his word, his presence, his people are truly capable of influencing our children in the way that we want them to. Satan and his armies have claimed many lives, have claimed many souls, sadly, over the years. But we must never forget that we serve a God that is far more powerful, far more supreme, far more capable than the armies of the world, than Satan himself. And so we must put our trust and confidence in saying if we will point our eyes and to point our children's eyes to the God of heaven, that there will be success. Could we really ever doubt that? You say, well, is that really, that's really kind of simplistic, Jordan, to say, well, if we'll just point our eyes and our children's eyes to God, that, that we'll have success. But I'd ask you, what other option do we have? This truly is the way to point the eyes of our children to God. It's always been God's desire that God's people keep their eyes constantly upon him. Thinking about in Exodus chapter number 13, as the children of Israel left out of Egypt, Recall that the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and night. Perhaps you recall this from your Bible classes growing up. Maybe this is something you're familiar with that God led them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. But turn with me in your Bibles for just a moment to Exodus chapter number 40 the very last chapter of the book of Exodus, it may be the case that you have forgotten or you weren't aware of the fact that it wasn't just in Exodus chapter number 13 that the Lord was leading the people by the cloud and by the fire. Notice Exodus chapter 40, beginning of verse 34. At the end of the book of Exodus, as the children are going through the wilderness wanderings, notice what is still happening. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Verse 36, 
Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day and fire was over it by night. Now notice, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all of their journeys. Throughout all of their journeys, God wanted the children of Israel's eyes to be focused upon him. God was purposefully manifesting himself to his people in this way so that they would be reminded that their eyes needed to be on him, that reliance and submission needed to be towards him, that in their hearts they needed to develop this attitude that says, wherever the Lord leads me, there I will go. And as a father, that's my goal. To develop in my children this attitude that says, wherever the Lord leads, that's where I will go. Preachers often emphasize the need for God-centered preaching. And parents, we ought to be emphasizing in our own lives God-centered parenting. That is, everything that we do as parents is focused on and revolved around and aimed towards keeping our eyes on God. But what a monumental task. Surely I'm not the only one that feels in so many ways wholly inadequate to be able to raise children, to, to focus their eyes upon God in this way. And so today we, we ask the question, how can we confidently develop in our children that same attitude that says, wherever the Lord leads me, there I will go. And so this morning I have, from my personal study, four challenges that I would like to, to offer my fellow fathers, particularly this morning, as we strive to lead our families, as we raise our children. The first two challenges are intended to be more focused on us looking inward before we look into and delving into some more practical application. Number one, I want us to consider that in order to lead our families through troublesome times, we need to realize that raising children in culturally troublesome times is the norm, not the exception. It's the norm, not the exception. As I was for quite some time bemoaning the fact that my children were already facing some of these conversations, I began to realize, and I began to remember that I was not the only one, I was not the only father in history who had, had been facing the struggle of raising children in culturally troublesome times. In fact, as I thought back through the scriptures, I realized, you know what, really, it's more the norm than the exception. We are, have been the exception in a lot of ways in the United States of America for many years in raising children in an environment that was, for the most part, amenable to the ways of God. But you know what, as we increase away as a society from God, we are becoming more like the histories and cultures of the past. I think about Shem, Ham, and Japheth. As Noah raised his three sons in a time in Genesis chapter six and verse number five, in which every thought and intent of the hearts of men was only evil continually. I think about Lot. How young were Lot's children when he was forced into conversations with his children about homosexuality as they were living in Sodom and Gomorrah? I thought about the Hebrew boys dwelling in Egypt for so many years as they were under the oppression of Pharaoh after Pharaoh 
Perhaps their parents at young ages were having to have discussions with them about racial oppression and and the things that come along with that. I think about Joshua and Caleb as they returned from spying out the land of Canaan and coming back and talking to their children about what they'd seen and maybe having to field questions from their children about the murderous and vile people of the land. I think about those that were in Babylonian exile Were conversations happening between parents and young children about Nebuchadnezzar's idol, that he was commanding that those people bow down and worship? I think about surely the fact that there were some Christian families, perhaps in Rome or under Roman control, that played in the streets even with young boys and girls who were of perhaps their parents being involved in Roman control and and, inflicting pain and torture upon other Christians and having to wrestle with those types of conversations with their young children. Yet even in these terribly troublesome times, even in Babylon, even in Egypt, even in the time in which every thought and intent of the heart of man was only evil continually, still fathers and mothers raised their children to be faithful to the Lord. Noah still was able to raise three young men who took their wives and climbed onto the boat even during that time. You think about Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 23, talking about the fact that it was the faith of Amram and Jochebed that eventually with the providential hand of God led to the leader, Moses, taking the children of Israel out of Egypt. We think about the fact that it was in troublesome times that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Babylonian exile still stood up and refused to bow down before the idol that was commanded for them to bow down to. It was during troublesome times that Lois and Eunice, grandmother and mother, raised a young man, Timothy, to be well spoken of by his peers, by the brothers in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, despite the fact that his father was unbelieving. Parents in the past centuries have raised children to be faithful to the Lord despite troublesome times. And fathers, it's well past time that we stop bemoaning and pouting about the fact that we're living in a world that is so terrible and start realizing that you and I today can raise children that can be faithful to the Lord. Because our ancestors in the faith have done so, we can too. We must stop dreading this duty and realize that Satan has not already gained the victory over them, that while we still have them in our care, there still is hope for their lives. And so as we think about these things, I want us secondly though to consider that to lead our families through troublesome times, not only do we need to have confidence in the fact that we can raise these young people, but we also need to make sure that our own eyes are firmly fixed upon God. Aaron and I, a few years ago, inherited Aaron's grandfather's boat, and over the past few years, I've been kind of fixing it up and learning how to to fish in the coastal waters here in the the bays and the marshes. And a few weeks ago, I asked Corey if if he'd give me a recommendation on where I should go to to, to take Jackson fishing. And and he told me to go to, I won't say the name because you know you don't want to reveal people's fishing locations, right? And and he was kind enough and generous enough to, 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 to maybe suggest that to me and let me go there. 
But as I got to reading online on the forums that were about this particular area, everybody said, don't take your boat in there. It's really dangerous. It's really treacherous. There's lots of oyster reefs just beneath the surface and you have to know just where to go. And if you don't slow down in just the right time and go just the right direction, that you can run your boat up on top of these oyster reefs, maybe even put a hole in the bottom of your boat. And I'm thinking, I'm taking my son out on these waters and you know, it's salt water and there's sharks and there's stingrays and there's jellyfish. And needless to say, before I went out, my eyes were pouring over the satellite imagery and over nautical charts and looking to see where those, because you can see in some of the shallow waters where those oyster reefs are and you can maybe plot out a chart of where to go. Is it any different as we think about the fact that we will never be able to help our children navigate the minefields of life that that we have first not navigated ourselves and that the only way that we will ever be able to navigate the minefields of our culture is with our eyes, I'm talking about mine and yours as fathers, focused upon the Lord. When questions such as can a man marry a man or what is a woman and thinking about the gender ideology of the day and things that are going on in the world around us, what does God's word say? What does the Lord teach? Navigating these troublesome times requires that I personally wrestle with these questions because my children are going to wrestle with them whether I'm wanting them to or not. And I need to be prepared to help them navigate through the things that we're living with even today. And so as I think about this, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 5, as well as 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 7, there's this mention of a genuine faith a sincere faith. And so I'd ask you, fathers, and I I would ask myself, is my faith genuine or is it a faith that is counterfeit? Is it something that is a show to my children and to my spouse, to my church family? Or do I truly trust in and have my faith in the God of heaven? Because if it's really a counterfeit, I'm never going to be able to help my children navigate the oyster reefs the minefields of life. By the way, in addition to keeping our eyes on God, it might also be said we keep one eye on God and one eye on our family because as I was out on the boat with Jackson that day, we did safely navigate through the waters, by the way. I also had to make sure that he wasn't jumping out of the boat. I had to keep my eyes on him. Not only did I have to watch out for the oysteries, but I need to keep my eyes on him and so it is with us in life. So many times we think about wanting to help lead our families through the troublesome times that we're in, but we don't have our eyes on our family. Our eyes are on our jobs. Our eyes are on our 401ks. We're focused on climbing the the social status ladder. If you intend to lead your family, if I intend to lead my family, my eyes need to be on my family as well. Focused on them, present with them, near them, Not taking on unnecessary, extraneous overtime just so that I can climb that ladder, climb that step when it becomes sometimes to the detriment of my family. I'm not saying that those things are inherently sinful in every case, but are you thinking about perhaps what's best for your family in every situation? And so we need to think about inwardly these first two challenges. Do I have the confidence to know that I can lead my family through these troublesome times, but also are my eyes personally as a father fixed on God so that if I want to lead my family that they know my eyes are fixed there as well. And so a few things that are practical this morning 
to lead our families through trouble sometimes, we need to find some practical ways to keep the eyes of our family on God. Number one, fathers, we must be like our heavenly father. We must be like our heavenly father. The way children view their heavenly father is in many ways tied directly to how they view their earthly father. When a father is harsh or critical or absent or unloving or coarse, oftentimes a child will often see God in the very same way. We are the light of the world, Jesus tells us. We're the light of the world to those that are our coworkers, and we're also the light of the world to our children. And if they don't see the Lord in our lives, then how are they going to find reason and ability to glorify their Father, which is in heaven, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the characteristics, the qualities of God the Spirit, or given out by the Spirit as we perhaps take in His Word, we think about what He is developing in us, And as we think about those things, we must ask ourselves, do we exhibit those characteristics and traits with our children? Do I tell my children that I love them? Am I joyous despite various frustrations? Am I a peacemaker in family conflict? Am I long-suffering when my children fail? Am I kind in speaking to my family? Am I faithful to my children's mother? Am I gentle when my children are disappointed? Am I self-controlled when they are upset or when I am upset? This is the fruit of God's spirit that we are called to possess, not just with our spouse, not just with our coworkers, not just with our church family, but with our children as well. We must be like God, and I'll tell you, just yesterday, I failed miserably at this. And as I said from the start, I am not at all purporting to be the exemplary model of raising our children perfectly through this life. Fathers, we must strive, the emphasis on that word there, strive, to be like our Heavenly Father. Fathers, we must teach our children about our Heavenly Father, not just trying to be like Him, but teaching about Him. This cannot be done by proxy. It cannot be done by proxy. Bible classes, youth groups, church camps are not enough. They need it daily. They need it consistently. They need it when we sit down in our house, when we walk by the way, when we lie down, and when we rise up, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 7. And they need it not just from mom. They need it from you, dad. Are we as eager to teach our children about God as we are to teach them about how to throw a ball? Are we as eager to introduce to them the marvelous love of Jesus as we are to introduce them to fishing or Star Wars? Fathers, we must teach our children about our Heavenly Father. We must also worship our Father in our personal homes. Yes, the corporate worship assembly is important. We must not forsake the assembly. We must communicate to our children that that is the case. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. However, if the only time that we are worshiping with our family is within the walls of this, this building here, we are shortchanging them miserably. When was the last time that you said something like this to your children? Son, daughter, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Psalm chapter 95, verse number six. Many have used the term family worship to describe what would be taking place within the home. 
The idea is that on a regular scheduled basis that you are committed to every night or every morning sitting down with your family and worshiping, not just within the walls of these buildings, but leading your family in worship, fathers. For some reason, our kids oftentimes are so much more engaged at home or around a campfire in places that are not in this pew or in this building because they're seeing, for some reason, in the people that they trust the most, their mother and I, that this is important to us. Our children should trust us more than anyone and anything else in the world. And so when they see us taking the initiative to worship God in our own homes, or beside a campfire with no one else around, no one else seeing us, it leaves an indelible impression upon them. One writer said of family worship, he said it all comes down to a simple question, why am I here? He says, does our family exist to prepare children for the major leagues? If so, then baseball will be the center of our family's universe and everything will bow to the whims and wishes of the baseball God. However, if our family exists to glorify and honor God and to lay a biblical foundation in the lives of our children, and I would submit this morning that everyone here would hope that that is the case in their lives, then we must not allow anything to interfere with our commitment to family worship, prayer, and Bible study. Fathers, we need to worship our Father in our personal homes, not just here at the building. We must also speak of the blessings from our Father. Our children will recognize when there is a disconnect between our family worship time and our regular family time. Is the name of God ever used? Not just in the teaching moments, but in just the normal day-to-day moments of your life. Do we speak him, about him regularly in average conversation? For example, do we remind our children of the times that God has blessed us in the past? Think part of the purpose of the Passover feast in Exodus chapter 12, verses 26 through 27, was to remind the children of Israel when they asked their fathers and mothers, why are we doing this feast? Why are we doing this? It was to remind them of the fact that God had passed over. You think about the fact that after safely crossing the Jordan, Joshua commanded the 12 stones be gathered together so that when your children ask in times to come, what do these stones mean to you? Parents could tell their children about how the Lord had delivered them. Fathers, do you speak to your children about your conversion to Christ? Perhaps being careful about leaving certain details out about your former life and about how your life has changed because of your conversion to him? Do you acknowledge how God has taken care of you in the past, that you have never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread, Psalm 37, verse 25? But not only the past, do you also acknowledge the blessings of the present? Do you acknowledge the blessings of the church? When, did the, when was the last time that you spoke positively about church and the worship services of the church and the Bible classes and the activities of the church and the elders of the church and the deacons of the church? When was the last time that you spoke to your children about the fact that you viewed them as a blessing from God, as was mentioned in our scripture reading from Psalm 127 and verse number five? But what about not only the blessings of the present, not only the blessings of the past, but also the promised blessings of the future? Is heaven a place that you speak of as somewhere that you have earnest anticipation for? Or is it a consolation prize? Is death regarded as a victory or as an enemy? Psalm 1, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse number 21, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 55. 
The blessings of God, past, present, and future, must constantly be put before the minds of our children to keep their eyes focused on God. We also need to talk to our Father in the presence of our children. It is forever burned in my mind the time that I walked in my, on my father as he was kneeling down in his bedroom, face nearly touching the floor, praying out loud to God on behalf of his sister who was unexpectedly near death. I was a young child and I walked around the corner and I saw my father doing that and I remember that to this day. Have your children ever seen you praying to God? Not just at a mealtime when it's expected, not just here from the pulpit, but do they see you praying to God? Because here's something I want you to think about, fathers. Perhaps the greatest evidence to our children of our faith in God is whether we will proactively go to God in prayer when no one else is looking. Do you practice what Jesus preached in the Sermon on the Mount? That we ought not to be just those that pray when other people are around, but as those that go to our closets and pray. Because you know, ulterior motives could be found for not sinning in the sense that maybe you don't wanna do something that, that maybe would cause your reputation to be harmed. Or maybe there's reasons why other than doing it for the right reason, reasons why you might come to worship services because you don't wanna receive a call from an elder of where have you been. There's reasons why you might uh, perhaps not still steal money from uh, the cash register at work because you don't want to lose your job. Or maybe there's reasons why you remain faithful to your spouse because you don't want to lose custody over your children. There's a lot of reasons why you might do, quote unquote, the right thing so that you don't suffer the consequences of having done the wrong thing. But when it comes to praying, unless a man is truly a man of God and truly believes in the power of prayer, they will have a hard time finding reason and time to pray in their lives when no one else is looking. And our children will pick up on that. Our children will see when there is a reluctance and a hesitancy to praying at home when no one else is around. And so we need to talk to our Heavenly Father in the presence of our children so that their eyes continue to be placed upon God. And then finally, we must discipline the way that our Father expects us to until you become a father, in many ways, you cannot understand the phrase that my father told me, this hurts me more than it hurts you. But if we neglect to use the various forms of biblical discipline, what's going to hurt more is when we watch our children stray from God because of the lack of discipline that we failed to institute in their lives. Listen to the words of the Proverbs writer in this spiritual life and death situation. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul. Proverbs chapter 13, verse number 14. Proverbs chapter 23, verses 13 and 14. Certainly we should never provoke our children to wrath, but we need to realize that godly discipline is an expression of love. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse number 14. Do we truly believe that God's words hold wisdom? Because if we do, we'll believe that God's way of discipline, not only through perhaps what might, some might call corporal punishment, but other forms of discipline that are biblical, do we really believe that discipline is important in our children's lives? Are we practicing that? Because our Father also disciplines us, Hebrews chapter 12, and verse number six. As we close this morning, I want us to ask this question. Are we being cautious of things that take our family's eyes off of God. 
As we close, look at Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse number 4. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse number 4. For they will turn your eyes, your son's eyes, away from following me to serve other gods so that the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. What is he talking about here? In verses 1 through 3, the Lord had just commanded that as the children of Israel entered into the land of Canaan, that they were to not marry of the people of the land. Because he says, they will turn your sons away from following me. I'd ask you this morning, what do we allow our children to quote unquote marry that perhaps is turning their eyes away from following God? Certainly we should never do anything to allow our children to see things that may cause them to sin. We want to keep their eyes not off of things that are inappropriate, but, but not just that, as you think about the fact that Eve took her eyes off of God when she saw that the tree was good for food. Genesis 3, verse 6, Lot's eyes were turned away from the Lord's rescue when she looked back on Sodom and Gomorrah. Achan saw the spoil among many things that took his eyes off of God. Joshua chapter 7, verse 21, David's eyes were turned from the Lord when he saw Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 12, Samson's eyes were turned from the Lord when he saw the prostitute Delilah. Judges chapter 16, verse number 1. What are we placing before our children that are causing their eyes to be turned from God? It's not to suggest that our children not play sports or be involved in academic pursuits or, or learn a musical instrument or excel in academics, but how often do we spend the first several years of their lives making sure that they're at Bible class, but then when middle school comes around or high school comes around, they end up being so distracted by all the things of the world that it causes their eyes to be torn away from the Lord. If I allow those activities to become the reason that my children miss worship, or if I allow those activities to become my child's source of joy and contentment, or if I allow those things to cause my children to ne neglect time in scripture, or if they cause my child to be more like the world and less like God than I have a as a father have failed to point my children's eyes to God. What a blessing and a challenge we have before us this morning. My children do not belong to me. Why would I want to do anything other than point them to the Lord who they belong to anyway? This morning I'd ask you, do you consider that your children are, as the psalmist said, like arrows in the hand of a warrior? That is, when we think about the troublesome times that are in the world around us, that we, when we're raising these young children, we are taking the opportunity to submit them to God, to allow them to join forces with the Lord in fighting these troublesome times. We add another warrior to the battle. Though daunting, we brave, must bravely look at these troublesome times as an opportunity to say to the world that our God is greater. Our God is far supreme. Our God is far better than those things of the world. This morning, if you're struggling as a father, if you're struggling as a Christian, if you're struggling just keeping your eyes on God, we want you to make those things right. If there's anything that we can do for you this morning, we ask that you come as together we stand and as we sing.